0: Welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. Um, I wanna talk about a riot in Ephesus, okay? So Acts 19, I preached this in 2014. I'm gonna preach it again. It's a little variation because I I was reminded of this talk last week and I just felt this is a timely message for us and, and it's a priority. I listened to a woman preached. Her name's Eleanor Mumford. She's the first, uh, her and her husband started the first vineyard in the UK, and she's 70-something. And when she preached, she spoke like a general, speaking to her troops. And she had so much authority. And I walked away having a massive crush on her. I told that to my wife (laughs) and to her publicly, uh, because she was just this firecracker woman. And she is overseeing the global vineyard, releasing vineyard movements in Chile and the Himalayas, like just seeing God move. And I was just so moved by her simplicity of like coming back to the basics. Like, here's a person that could really get complex. Somebody that could, could, you know, talk about all the things she's seen, but she's just getting back to the simple things of Jesus. And I feel like this text is one of those. So let's, let's talk about what happened 2,000 years ago when there was a riot in Ephesus and see if there's any implications for us today, 2,000 years later, and what, it, what God might want to say to us through that story. So Acts chapter 19, we'll start with the end, and then we'll go uh, back to the beginning and work our way through like a Quentin Tarantino film. So verse 23 About that time, there arose a great disturbance about the way. And the way is the phrase that's used to describe the Christian movement in the first few centuries um, because they they lived a particular way of life. And so they were called by outsiders the way. Um, A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen there. He called them together along with the workers in related trades and said, you know, my friends, that we receive a good income from this business. And you see and hear how this fellow Paul had convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and practically the whole province of Asia. He says that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. There is a danger not only of our trade, that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited. Uh, And the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. When they heard this, they were furious and began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Soon the whole city was in uproar. So this is a story. It takes place, uh, Paul comes into Ephesus, which we'll get to in a second. Um, but Ephesus was the second largest city in the Roman Empire at the time that this was written. So Rome was the largest city. Ephesus was the second largest city. They had a population of 250,000 people. Um, and to, to, to recognize what's going on here, we need to understand that this city was wealthy. It was influential. It was a trade city. It was a place of diversity and spiritual influence. Ephesus Operated with a pagan worldview. They constructed their lives and community around the worship of the goddess Artemis. Artemis was the representation, the god of their pagan lives that represented success, security, and comfort. It, she represented, represented financial provision. She was the goddess of fertility, of health, of sexual pleasure. So this was the epicenter in the Roman Empire for the goddess of sexual pleasure, of success, of financial prosperity, of health. If you wanted to get pregnant, you would worship Artemis. She was the goddess of fertility. Are you with me? So in that pagan context, you organized your life around worshiping the pagan gods. You, the way you saw the world was that there were gods in charge of various things in your life that you had no control over, like your your, your business, whether it would rain or not, whether you would be successful or not, whether uh, you would have conflict or not, whether your kids would survive. So in order to find success in the world, you gave time, energy, and money to the various gods that had power over those things. Are you with me? So the story begins... Uh, with this riot, because to be Ephesian was to worship Artemis. It was completely connected. And so the Artemis, the temple of Artemis, was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was a temple built on 70,000 acres. Um, Every year, we have historical record of a one million people flooding into the city, of 250,000 to worship Artemis in her annual festival called the Artemisia, where they would um, basically have uninhibited sex with temple prostitutes as a way to connect with this goddess of fertility, health, success, wealth, and financial blessing. So, Paul comes, uh, so, so what we have is the, the, the people that were making idols to Artemis start a riot in Ephesus because of the church. So the question I have is, what caused the riot? And Luke gives us three components of what caused the riot. So I want to go through Acts 19 to reveal to us today, maybe there's some implications for how we might live today and how we might influence the cities we live in. Are you with me? So Acts 19, verse 1. So let's go back and we'll read three components to uh, what caused the riot. And I want to encourage us to just get back to the basics. So number uh, chapter 19, verse 1. Uh, while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. So Paul comes into Ephesus. So what caused this riot? Something has, it has something to do with Paul coming to Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you, when you believed? They answered, No. We have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked then what baptism did you receive John's baptism they said Paul said John's baptism was of a baptism of repentance he told the people to believe in the one coming after him that is Jesus On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. What caused the riot in Ephesus? It begins with the church being filled with the Holy Spirit. So what we see is Paul comes into Ephesus and something about these 12 men who are disciples is off. Paul shows up and, and he's, he's assessing the community and he says, hey, and he's trying to figure it out, theologically probably, based on the way they're practicing their faith. This is just my, my deduction from this. Something is, he's there, he hears about disciples, he shows up and he says, hey guys, and he asks them, "Um, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you were when you believed. And the response was, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit, which I would say is most of the church today. At least that's my experience. I grew up in the church. You've heard this story. I didn't even know or believe that the gifts and the stuff of the Spirit were for today. I came to that conclusion theologically in school when I studied theology that, yes, of course, the gifts and all the stuff of the Spirit's for today, but I never was a part of a church community that practiced it. Whereas John Wimber said, that did the stuff. (laughs) John Wimber became Christian and he read the stories of the New Testament. He went up to the pastor after a gathering like this and said, hey, when do we get to do the stuff? We heal the sick, cast out demons, those things. And what we, what we recognize is that the church for, over time gets really comfortable with programs, with purpose-driven stuff, with focus on your, your internal life not on the external doing the things that Jesus did. We we condense our faith to me, myself, and Jesus and what's convenient and acceptable and, and comfortable. We build communities around convenience. An hour is all you get. A couple minutes of worship, some funny teaching with a couple of practical steps, maybe some word to go along with it and then you're out the door until next week, we don't recognize that actually this whole thing church is supposed to be empowered by the presence of God. Not when we gather, although that's important, but you as a follower of Jesus are to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that you take Jesus's power, his presence, you do the things that Jesus did in your everyday, ordinary life. As a stay-at-home mom, as a photographer, as an actor, as, uh, as a professor, as a student, as a yet-employed person, or whatever you find yourself, you bring yourself empowered by the Spirit to those places that you find yourself with the power of God. This is how it was designed to be. But what we love is our little social clubs. And now, we, we, we don't have an excuse. They had an excuse. They didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. Now, think about this. Who, how long were they there? We don't know. But Paul shows up clarifies some theology, and then demonstrates the power of God by praying for them. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is Luke's way of, of saying this is what happens when the Spirit comes on a community. His shorthand is that the, uh, they're filled with the presence of God and the gifts of the Spirit are, are clearly demonstrated in the gathering. So he'll use it as a technical kind of literary tool that, oh, they spoke in tongues and prophesied. In other words, the gifts were present in the gathering of the Lord's people. And, and so it's just a shorthand of the, the, the effects of God. And I just wonder how much of our life is being done without the presence of God? How much of your relational life is done without the supernatural infilling of the presence of God in your life? Who desires to teach you how to be you? Do you think about this, there's never been a you before on the face of this planet. And God loves you. Like, Really likes who you are and wants to train you to be yourself. Because as you become more like Jesus, it's not that you lose who you are, you become more fully yourself through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. How much of your life is done without the Holy Spirit? How much of your work life? How much of your commute? How much of your parenting? How much of your conflict resolution patterns? How much of your listening to your spouse? is done with the supernatural empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Lord, more, please. Please. Help me understand, my wife. This woman you gave me, as Adam says in Genesis 3, which is my excuse for everything, pretty much. She did it. Um, <clears throat> Holy Spirit. We want more of the Holy Spirit. we got to be people of the presence of God. Garden Church We have to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul was saying in Ephesians 5, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's a continual present verb. Be be continuously filled with the Holy Spirit. Keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. We have to be people marked by the presence of God. We are the only institution anointed by the presence of God to, to, to cast out demons and to heal the sick and to continue the life of God wherever we go. This is, this is the hope. Jesus handed off his life, his ministry, his mission to the church, a bunch of ragamuffins who some of us are struggling with sobriety and Jesus wants to fill you with his presence to be freed from that addiction, freed from that anger, freed from that uh, disconnection, freed from that self-hatred, freed from that insecurity, freed from those diagnoses that have been over your life. To operate as a son and daughter, as a child of the Most High, through the, the relational and the indwelling of the presence of God. Are you with me? Yeah. What was the right? Number one, the church was filled. What caused it? The church was filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's keep going. Um, let's keep going through the verse. So what, what else happened? Check this out. So um, Paul, the 12 guys are filled with the Holy Spirit. And then it says this, Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. Now this is so cool because what you see throughout the the book of Acts is uh, the continuation of Jesus's life, ministry, and mission. So Luke in the gospel of Luke will say, "This this is what Jesus did. These are the things that he did. And here's how he did it. Almost every time it says, if you study the book of Luke, Jesus did what he did through the power of the Holy Spirit. Then he dies. He's raised from the dead. He, he, and before he ascends, he talks about the Spirit coming to the church to empower the church to continue to be a witness to the ends of the earth. And then the book of Acts takes off. Jesus ascends. The Spirit comes down. And guess what? The church actually does the things that Jesus did through the power of the Holy Spirit. So Paul is in Ephesus, and what you see in Luke's gospel is Jesus would go into a town, go to the synagogue, and proclaim the kingdom of God. So it's just hey, this is Jesus just continuing his mission. That's what you see. Are you with me? And then it says this, but some of them became obstinate and they refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left the synagogue. He took his disciples with him and discussed uh, and had discussions daily. In the lecture hall of Tyrannus, this went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Isn't that amazing? But check this next part out. God did, this is a new category, extraordinary miracles through Paul. So that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had been touched um, by him were taken to those who were ill and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. Okay, this is kind of cool. Because you don't read about Jesus praying or touching aprons or handkerchiefs and people being healed. People touched him. But right here, what we have is Paul is doing the things that Jesus did. He'd go proclaim the kingdom and then they kick him out. So he's like, oh, I'll just take this to a philosopher's hall where that was totally normal. Greek philosophers would come in. They would rent for a couple hours during the day halls to discuss their philosophy with disciples. So Paul follows this tradition and proclaims the word of the Lord and that word of God spread throughout the whole province of Asia. And not only is it, so the word of God is spreading, but also People are being healed. Sicknesses are leaving. And those that have demons are being liberated and set free. That's the ministry of Jesus. Even to the point where it gets a little creative. Remember in John, he says greater works than these. Here's one of those greater works. Somebody had imagination to say, hey, why don't you just touch this and pray for this and we'll see what happens. And stuff happened. That's kind of crazy to me. It's a little weird. I know people have abused that in the past, but this is in the scriptures. So people had creative imagination for what was possible in the power of the Holy Spirit. I think oftentimes our imagination is just eliminated in prayer, in faith, in ministering, in relationship. And so Paul continues to do, but why was there a right? And I would say it this way, that the church had a courageous, faithful presence. The church lived, as a courageous, faithful presence. In this language, I'm using very intentionally. And here's what I mean by that. The church uh, is not about entertainment, events, gatherings. The church is about living as a faithful presence wherever you find yourself. And when I say church, I don't mean the institution, the brand, the website. I mean you. Why was there a riot? Because the followers of Jesus chose to live with courage as a faithful presence. To everyone they met, every day they lived, and everywhere they went. You are called to live as a faithful presence with courage. To have courage to do the things that Jesus did. To proclaim the gospel, to cast out demons, to heal the sick, to care for the poor, to feed the hungry, to to clothe the naked, to continue the life and mission of Jesus. That's the courage that you need. Because I know it takes courage. Would you agree? To pray for people on the streets takes courage. To share your faith, just, I showed up to Northern Ireland, I went on a run, World Vision, how many of you are running with me for the Long Beach Marathon? I was still running jet lag, so there I was running on the beach, it was awesome. Um, it, was, it was actually nicer weather in Northern Ireland than here, which was funny. Uh, but there I was running, and I passed like these eight guys that are probably, I didn't know how old they were, but they were 15 years old, and I had to like run around them, and, uh, and the Lord says, I want you to share your faith. And I'm like, oh, that's funny. I'm, you know, I'm just a dude from Southern California. I don't really do that, you know, with, without a stage. And he's like, go share your faith. So I went back <laughs> and uh, I, but eight guys, I found out they're all 15. They all go to school together. I start sharing my faith with them and two of them accepted Jesus right there. My first, that was my first experience in Northern Ireland. We drove up, but, but this is what, it took so much courage even for a professional pastor But that's what we need. And a faithful presence. You could use the word intentional presence. You can use the word missional presence. I don't like the word missional because what we do is we, I used to love the word missional, but what I realized is it almost treats people like projects. And our goal is not that they come to faith. Our goal is not that you have a word of knowledge. Our goal is not even that they get healed, but that you demonstrate God's love. A loving presence to your workplace, to your neighbors. I need it right now for one of my neighbors. Don't be yelling at me when my kid's playing outside. All right? He, He worships Jesus Christ. You don't need to use that word. You know what I'm saying? I'm praying, God, I want to bless them. I want to honor that. I want to hold bitterness. And so, but we need a loving presence in this city. We don't need projects. Jesus didn't love people so that they could go to heaven. He brought heaven to them and he loved them because he loved them, period. You think about that? He wasn't trying to convert Zacchaeus. He was loving a son of Abraham. This is, our worldview needs to be shaped by this. So uh, the church Needs to be a, a faithful presence, a loving presence, a joy-filled presence. Just think about that. All the gifts of the Holy Spirit, all the, sorry, the, the, um, um, the spiritual, not gifts, what am I? Fruits. Yeah, okay, one of those things. Thank you for that help. All the fruit of the Spirit, like a patient presence. That's a good one, right? Um, and what do I mean by presence? I mean the person that you are. When you come into the office, are you bringing people uh, to the presence of God, a joyful, consistent, non-anxious person, rooted? Everyone's freaking out, crisis, and you're centered because your your identity is anchored in Jesus. That you can show up to any situation and not be reactive, but to be grounded. That's what I, That's what the church is doing. So doing the things that Jesus did, becoming... a a faithful presence with courage. This is one of the things that you see. And then let's look at the other one, and this is probably the most obvious and probably the hardest. Um, Verse 17, when this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas or it would have been uh, tens of millions of dollars today. Okay? In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. And then it continues on and there's a riot in Ephesus. What's the third? The third piece is the church turned away from its idols or the church gave up their idols. The church gave up their idols. I'm not talking about outsiders. Christians stopped worshiping their idols. Remember, Ephesus constructed a worldview, a system of values, a system of beliefs, of practices, a way of interacting in the world around them, built around Artemis. There was a scroll, a potion, a sorcerer that you could buy some type of piece. It's called the uh, Ephesia Grammata. We have historical evidence that in the first century in Ephesus, if you were an ordinary citizen, you would buy from witch doctors and sorcerers and priestesses from Artemis various uh, 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 scrolls to bless your life. So if you wanted to send a curse on your business competitor. They had scrolls for that. Like we have apps for that. They had a scroll for financial blessing. They had a scroll for uh, fertility if you were wanting to have lots of kids. They had, there were ways that with time, energy, money to worship the god Artemis. And you would interact with people around you based on these shrines, based on temple worship. Now, I know it's 2,000 years later, but we are doing the same thing today, The church was participating and syncretizing their worship of Artemis with the worship of the resurrected Messiah, Jesus. And when they saw the power of God, they said, we can't do this anymore. They burnt the bridges back to their idolatry. We said, we can't even walk down that road anymore. We can't have a worldview like Ephesus. We need a Christian worldview. We need to think differently about how this world is engaged. We need to act differently. We need to, we need to use our money. We don't need silver things made for, by human hands to worship God. We're worshiping the God who creates all things. And when the church gave up their idols, the economy tilted. Think about that. The economy tilts. And all of a sudden, the city of Ephesus begins to notice they're not engaging in pornography anymore. They're not engaging in this abuse. They're not engaging in over-consumerism where their identity is found in what they own They're not engaging in the rituals, in the competition. They're engaging in the way that Ephesians are supposed to engage. And people were beginning to notice because they weren't making as much money in those things. Isn't that interesting? That when the church actually gives up its dependence of idolatry. What is an idol? Um, And this comes from my friend Don. An idol is anything that gives you meaning, purpose, significance, or identity outside of God. They gave up anything that they had that gave them meaning, purpose, significance, or identity outside of the one true God. And they chose to bring those things that were markers of a way of life in the city of Ephesus and said no more. And then it says the word of God, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power to where a couple hundred years later, Ephesus is 90% Christian. The church was filled with the Holy Spirit. The church lived as a courageous, faithful presence. And the church gave up its idols. What idols do you carry in here today? Yeah, they might not be a silver statue of Artemis, but it might be your career. It might be your job. It might be what people think. It might be the need for success or a name. It might be relationships. It might be what people think about you on social media. It might be your social media. It might be what you know and your intellect, your knowledge. It might be your family Your family has become an idol to the things that God has for you, where you're actually finding more meaning and significance as a mom than you are as a child of God or a father. Or it might be the fact that you haven't become a father and mother yet, and that's the longing of your heart, and God's saying, actually, you're more than that. You're a child of God first. What are the idols that we collected here? It might be stuff, materialism, consumerism, might be things, might be the need for security, it might be the future, the dreams that you have, that you've had since you were a kid, that God's saying, no, burn that up. That's not for you right now. I'm for you. What are the idols that we carry in? It might be laziness, it might be just escape. That God's calling you to contend for life and you're trying to coast through life. What are the idols that you carry? Seriously. Think about. It. Do an inventory right now. Where are you finding your meaning, your significance, your purpose in life? And what might happen if, garden? Remember, there were 12 of them. What would happen if just this room right here? We were filled, and we kept on being filled. And we chose to live a, a courageous, faithful presence everywhere we go, every day we lived, with everyone we meet, where you are as you are, empowered by the Spirit of God. And what would it look like if you fully surrendered your life today? No more competition for Jesus. Let him be your Lord. Amen.